Amen. We actually have two healing stories today. And, you know, we're doing the, that kind of walk through the, the signs and John. And depending on what you read or what commentaries you look at, these are either the, the third and fourth signs or the third sign or the second sign. And so it can be any of that. In our world, this would be number three, the way we're looking at it this time. But know that there are some um, question as to what exactly these signs are. They know there are signs in John, but what, what order they are in and, and how you count them is a little bit different. So our first one comes from John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. Hear these words from the gospel today. Then he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had changed the water into wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my little boy dies. The official said, your son, the official said to him, come down. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. And as he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that the child was alive. So he asked them, the hour in which he began to recover. And they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father realized that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judah, Judea to Galilee. So that's the first story. And then the second one, you probably have heard before as well. It's from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there, was, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bazada, or sometimes it's called... Um, by another name, Bethesda. But with this pool had five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no way. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am waking, making my way, someone steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. 
At once the man um, was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath day. I need to uh, pause just here for a moment because my ring uh, thing in my on my porch keeps going off, and that's a little tinkle you hear. And so I forgot to put on Do Not Disturb. So a few years ago, when I was working on my doctor ministry project, I took a class called Preaching for Peace. And one of the things that we had to do in that class for the final project was to take one of the stories um, that were kind of listed on uh, a whiteboard. We had to put our name by one, one of the stories that we wanted to preach on, and somehow tie that story to peace and justice. And so um, the second story that we're going to look at today was the story that I, that I chose or was chosen for me. And so you'll probably hear a little more of that justice piece in this sermon than you normally hear from me. Um, but I think that it's really appropriate for for where we are and in talking about these he, these stories about healing um, you know as we look at what we've done in this sermon series two weeks ago we talked about the wedding in Cana how how Jesus took something as ordinary as water and turned it into the extraordinary best wine and then at the end of that sermon we talked about how we also are kind of the the vessels and and things of that how you know, how sometimes we run out of what we need to, to thrive. And so we talked about that then. And then last week, you might remember I had tables and such all knocked over up here behind me. And we talked about Jesus cleansing the temple. And, and we talked about how sometimes, you know, we forget that we are also the temple. And that sometimes we need to clear some things out of our lives. So we have that kind of backdrop of those two weeks. We're going into today's stories with that in mind, the first story involves the healing of a Galilean official's son. The second was a man who'd waited for healing for 38 years. I can't even wrap my mind around that. 38 years is a very long time. There's a lot of contrasts between these stories for example, one is rich and powerful, and the other is not. Um, if the man by the pool had been rich, he would have had servants that could lift him into the water. So that's why I'm thinking he is not rich. He does not have resources that will help him access what he needs to be whole. And we're told in this story with the official that it's healing of an individual, a, a, a child that's in need of healing. And in the story by the pool, there are a lot of people waiting to be healed when Jesus comes onto the picture. So we're, there's some things about this story that are, are different. Yes, there's, Jesus is there, and yes, there's healing happening. But there's some things that are really different. And so it makes me wonder, as I always do, when I look in the Gospel of John, what is John trying to tell us in the way he's presented these two stories? Is there something that we're supposed to be getting um, 
from the way that John kind of organizes his information. I feel it important to, to digress just a little bit and let you know something that I, I need to make clear, and that is that I really feel that healing and curing are not the same thing. I've known people that, um, that were healed that were never cured. And I know people who were cured and they were never healed. And so I, they're not the same thing. And I think that sometimes when we read these stories in the Bible where you know, your, your son will live and take up your mat and walk, we're thinking, what's, what's, what about that am I missing? You know, why is, for example, in 2013, my niece Erin, at 32 years old, died of cervical cancer, leaving two children behind if there was any person in this world that was prayed hard for by multiple people, it was Erin. Yet, when she was given the diagnosis and told that she had 13 months to live, nothing really happened to bring about curing her. And 13 months to the day, she died. But I can tell you this, I can tell you that Erin was healed. The relationship she had with her, my brother and her mom and her grandmother were transformed into something beautiful. The relationships she had with others, that the influence she had in the town. Do you know that in her funeral, which I officiated, which was kind of way something that I never thought I'd do, there were 500 people there. They had to hold it in the local theater because her story had touched so many people. That, my friends, is healing. That is healing. But she wasn't cured. So we know that there's a difference. And we know that healing is much deeper. Healing has to do with the soul and curing has to do with the body. And I really want to to, to bring that to your attention because I think it's tempting to say, why is that person cured and that one not? And in these stories, John doesn't address that. He's addressing something entirely different. So this very first story, this Galilean official um, or royal official, um, some traditions or some translations call this a nobleman. Um, the Greek uses a general term used for a servant of the king. And so um, it certainly means that he was an official in the king's court. At this time, um, in the court of Antipas, um, who was one who took over after the Herod that was around when Jesus was born. So this is a relative of that Herod, but a different person. That's why, you know, when we hear that Herod, there was several, I could name them, several different Herods that came in a long line, and this was not the one um, who was responsible for the killing of the, the children under, or the boys under age two. This is someone different. This official was kind of a powerful, rich, an influential man. He was kind of what 
upper crust. Uh, he was a power broker. He was a man probably that others feared and respected. He was accustomed to giving orders and having them followed. In his own corner of the world, he had enormous authority um, because he answered to the king and the king answered to Caesar. And that was kind of the line of things. But there was this, this man who could at any time say he wanted something and have it done. But, you know, in this instance, he couldn't heal his son. And my guess would be that he had tried. The real um, unsaid part of the story is that children rarely made it to age five in that society, particularly if you were poor. But it even affected the rich, that it was child mortality was huge <clears throat> because there were so many ways a child could be sick. And in er some areas, having food and, and things that they needed was few and far between. Does that sound familiar in our world today? But this nobleman, this, this king's man, heard that Jesus was, um, had come to Cana. And I'm guessing that he probably heard about that miracle of uh, water being turned into wine. He'd also probably heard the stories of all the healings that Jesus had done. If you look at the, the, the part of the scripture that comes before these two stories, Jesus was healing all over the place. And these miracles and things were happening all over the place. So this, this nobleman, this one who didn't have the power to heal his son, had heard that Jesus was there and that there might be a possibility that Jesus could help. Capernaum is, about, is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Cana is in the hilly area about 22 miles away. So this nobleman came from Capernaum to Kena, um, and it still will have a long ways to go back. So he came and he heard about Jesus and he, he decided that he would go to this man. He didn't know Jesus other than reputation, and we're not told that he was part of the followers or even that he believed, but that he heard that Jesus could save, that he'd heard that Jesus could heal. And so he he went with the intention to go get Jesus and bring him to Capernaum to heal his son. And he was accustomed to be able to go to someone and say, hey, come with me, and the person would. But we all know that Jesus doesn't always do those kinds of things the way we expect them to happen. So this man comes and pleads for his son's life. He's... Um, And he, so he says his bit, and Jesus answers with, unless you see a sign, you folks won't believe. And I wonder, you know, kind of what was going through. I think Jesus was talking to the people who had gathered around that, because the people knew who this man was, and probably wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. And so he says, as, as long, um, unless you see a sign, you won't believe. And the man goes on and says, Sir, come with me. This is life or death for my boy. Jesus does not come 
with a man, but only gives him a word. And it's about one o'clock, probably kind of a sundial or where the sun is in the sky, and says, go home, your son lives. And I can't help but wonder what was going through this man's head. He came with the intention of going and getting Jesus and taking Jesus to his son. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. And, and most of the, the sermons that I've heard about this story or most of the ones that I've, uh, you know, commentaries I looked at talk about this man's faith of, of, you know, going back home and believing, like on the way, believing. But, you know, I'm thinking that he simply went back home. Jesus wasn't going to come with him. And it wasn't until his servants met him and told him that his son was well, that he and his family believed. So Jesus did this miracle, this healing, for someone who wasn't a believer at that time. And the response to that help was, to be, uh, was for him to, and his whole household to believe. Um, and this healing experience had very little to do with this man's power or wealth and everything to do with his encounter with Jesus. So kind of hold that in the back of your mind that this, what happened with this man. And we're going to turn our attention to our second story in the first part of um, John chapter 5. The setting of this story is um, at a pool called Bethsatha or Bethesda, or however, you know, there's several different ways to pronounce it. So we're just going to call it the healing pool for our business today. But it was near the Sheep's Gate in Jerusalem. Y'all know where the Sheep's Gate is? <laughs> yeah. So the Sheep's Gate was kind of... Um, outside of the main temple grounds, um, this particular uh, commentary said it was in the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem's old city, north of the Temple Mount, about 55 yards from the Lion's Gate. Does that tell you anything? <laughs> no. So it was outside. It was the, here, here's probably the most important thing. This was the gate that they took the sheep into the temple. That's what it was called. And, and you know, it was outside the temple proper. Um, and there were all these pools around there. Lying in the porticos around the pool were many invalids. And we we're told that they were blind, lame, paralyzed. The pool was deep. And those wishing healing needed the knowledge of how to get there and also to, the ability to get into the pool when the water was stirred. So they needed assistance to get to the pool. That's really an important piece of this story. You couldn't get there without help because you had to get there kind of before anyone else. It seems to me, although we're not told in the story, that there was a limited time and number of people that could be healed at one, at, at one you know, stirring. And I'm not exactly sure what made the water bubble. We're not told that. But we're told that, that there was this time and then this man had been waiting for his turn, his time for 38 years.
So these people were lying around. There is no guarantee that they would be able to get into the pool, no guarantee that they would be healed, but it was, but had, had heard enough stories that it was worth a try. Um, so there's this man, and you kind of picture this, you know, kind of a modern day swimming pool, pond, something, and he's lying there beside it, and up comes Jesus, and he asks him a question, do you want to be well? And it seems like a simple question. But this is kind of a, a paradoxical question. Because there were some needs that weren't being met there. He waited for years. Even though he didn't doubt that the system could work. You can't stay in one place 38 years waiting for something and not believe that it's going to happen. He'd heard the stories. He'd seen firsthand that people, um, and they bought into this system that the water would stir, someone would get in, they'd be healed, get out. System. Everyone, it would seem, could benefit from this pond, but we come up to this kind of this idea that even though this is a system, this, this pool, not everyone had equal access to it. Because if you were rich, you could pay someone to help you get into the pool at the right time. You could have servants that could do that if you were poor. And there was no one to help you. You know, the man talks about heading to the pool and someone getting there before him. So there is, there is this kind of this subtext going on of not equal access for everyone at this pool. And I find it fascinating that here is this man that has waited a long time. And of all the people... And that area, Jesus singles him out. Maybe because he was the least likely to get there. Maybe. I'm not sure how, how you know, to frame that. So when Jesus sees him, he says, do you want to be well? Now, I don't know about you. If I had someone come to me and say, Sherry, do you want to be well? I would yell yes. I would say I would love not to have to take insulin every day. I would say I would love to be eat bread. I would love to be well. I mean, I think that, that that if you ask any person anywhere, if they want to be well, they're going to say yes. And I find it fascinating that the man didn't say yes. Do you remember what he said in the story? He responds with a complaint, a criticism, an excuse. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And Jesus responds with what? Take up your mat and walk. So the man, 38 years, doesn't respond to do you want to be well with yes. 
and says all kinds of excuses why he can't get there to be well. He's still buying into that system that if he gets in that pool, he'll be well. He can't connect that healing could come in a different place, in a different way. And so the man does lift up his mat and walk, and he leaves. Now, the last part of the story that we read today was the Sabbath day. And so when the man goes carrying his, his mat, something happens, and that the temple officials tell him, why are you, ask him, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? Not, wow, you're walking. Instead, it's, why are you carrying the mat? And then so he goes on and says, because that man told me to. Again, some excuses. And before we're really hard on this guy, we have to understand that this was the system, this was the plan that he grew up with, that he lived there for 38 years, that the only way to be healed was this thing. And so not knowing what to do with this healing that didn't come in the way that he expected it to be. One might wonder why Jesus chose this particular person for this particular task. I think because maybe this person was the least likely to receive what they needed from the system. You know, I think when we take these two stories side by side, we take the, the official story, the nobleman's story, and we take the story of this man, whose name, by the way, we don't know. Remember, we talked about John doesn't normally give names to the people, the stories that he talks about, so that we can, can kind of put ourselves in that story. So we have these two side by side, and this one's riches cannot get him what he needs. And this one, believing in a system, cannot get this one what he needs. So there's just two things side by side. Now, granted, you know, this one, the nobleman, is, is not a Jew, not a believer. We're not told exactly, but he wasn't a Jew. If he was a nobleman in the king's court, he was not a Jew. And then there's this one who is in near this pool, and we're not told a lot about his story, but that he probably was a Jew because the, the um, Pharisees and such were asking him why he was carrying his mat. So there's two things side by side. It doesn't really matter who they are. They're both in need of healing in one way or another. I think that if we can can wrap our minds around the fact that, that there isn't any particular um, attribute that makes these two the best candidates for healing, if we can wrap our minds around that, we can begin to look at healthcare in our world and know that we have a broken system. If healthcare in our world is a pool, then some can get in it and some cannot. What's really apparent to me, though, is the ones that cannot get to the pool need someone to help them get there. And for us, it might be advocacy. It might be working with them. 
um, for some of us that might be giving people what they need. In our world today, in the COVID world, there are people, Laura, you probably see them all the time, that don't have access to masks and tests and things that they need, or even sometimes the, the shots or boosters that could help them be well, and, and let alone getting sick and being able to go and get help in a hospital or whatever. Sometimes the things that block people from seeking that kind of help um, are socioeconomic. Some are their personal wounded stories that keep them from doing that. And some, like this man in the pool, when offered health and wellness, doesn't know that that's possible. In other words, says, no one will help me, even though that's there. So there's a, it's a whole messy situation. And as we look at our world today, as we look at healing in our world today, um, a world where we don't see those miracle cures happening. Yes, they happen sometimes, but for the average person, the person outside, the person on the margins, those miracles don't really happen unless someone speaks up for them. So what do we do? I can't by myself help everyone. I can't. In this church, we help a whole lot of people. But still, if someone needs health care, someone needs mental health care, there's some other things that need to happen before that's available. And a lot of that has to do with being an advocate for people, speaking up for them, providing masks when people don't have it, um, providing clothing when they don't have clothing, particularly in this scary time of health care. Do you know that I had, you know, when I think of someone out on the street, say someone who's a diabetic, and I think about how they might get their medications, do you know that I was kind of in this two-month window thing between insurances last fall, and, and although I had insurance, they weren't paying my insulin very well. So I was paying my, for my insulin out of pocket, to the tune of about $450 a month. I had insurance. And so that wasn't the total amount it would be. You have someone living on a fixed income, how would they pay for that? I don't know what the answers are, but I know that we have a broken healthcare system. And I know that we as with everything else in our world today, we look at ways that we can help, and we do that. It's like that starfish on the beach that gets thrown back, we help this one, we do that thing. I do know this, 38 years is too long for someone to wait. I do know that the most vulnerable among us wait even longer. I do know that in order for all to thrive, we need to do something, whatever that is. And I don't have the answers. I don't have where I can say to you, do this thing. 
because I think it takes all of us being creative to do this thing. And so, um, whereas you don't normally hear me talk about justice from the pulpit, I am just reminded that part of helping people be healed and whole is looking to their health needs. And I hear in these stories that Jesus wanted people to be well. All people to be well. There are many on the edge of the pool. And the question I have for you is what can we do to help those people be well and thrive? May God give us some answers to this, even little ones, this day. Amen.